to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer, the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Happy November! I cannot believe it's November. How did this year go by so quickly? It's going to be December soon, and then it's going to be 2020. We're going to be in a new decade. I can't even wrap my head around it. I love November, though, because all the fall vibes... Thanksgiving, all the delicious food. I just feel like everyone is in a great mood at this time of year. This time of year goes by so quickly, so incredibly quickly, but people are just more loving and giving, and that's what I love. Also, if you live in San Diego, I just want to give a little plug because one of my favorite restaurants, Powerhouse Pizza, which has delicious, gluten-free, dairy-free pizza. They have cauliflower crusts and a regular gluten-free white crust. It's so delicious. But Powerhouse Pizza this month is having a very special menu item. So at Powerhouse, they not only have pizza, but they also have salads and smoothies and kombucha. And I have partnered with them throughout November 2019 to bring you the Christina Rice Wellness Pumpkin Spice smoothie. I am so excited about it. I love me some pumpkin spice and I just, I love having my own personal menu item up there. So if you're in San Diego, please go to Powerhouse and try out this pumpkin spice smoothie. I really want you to try it and I want you to take a picture and tag me so I can see you got it. I don't make any commission off of this, but it was a really fun project and if enough people purchase it, then maybe she will let me come back and develop another recipe to be on the menu. It's seasonal, so it's just just for the season, but it would mean a lot to me if you tried it out. So that's my personal update. Just thought I would throw that in there. Shameless plug. But let's go ahead and talk about today's guest. I am really pumped for you to hear today's episode because it is a very important episode. I think this is an episode that you are going to want to send friends and family members and colleagues because we talk a lot about the healthcare system and it's very important. So today I am chatting with Adrian Nolan Smith and Adrian is a board certified patient advocate, speaker and the founder of Wellbe. Wellbe is a media company and lifestyle brand that is aimed at helping people bridge that gap between the wellness movement and the healthcare system. Adrienne has a really incredible health story of her own, struggling with chronic illness. She struggled with Lyme disease and later amenorrhea and had a mother who was in the cycle of the healthcare system due to some pretty serious mental health issues. 
And so she just had a lot of personal experience with the healthcare system and then eventually worked for a healthcare technology company. She worked with different hospitals and just through all of those experiences, realized that the standard of care needed to change. The current chronic disease crisis is only going to continue to rise if we don't do anything. And so now she's really passionate about showing people how integrative health and wellness are really key to preventing and reversing disease. She is really passionate about getting information out there and trying to help us change the system and just really demanding a system that supports us in our health because right now it's a sick care system. It's not a healthcare system. And with her work as a board-certified patient advocate, she helps people find the right practitioner who will help them get to the root cause. Like I said, this episode is really important. It's really important and has a lot of information that I know will help a lot of people. Finding the right practitioner is something that can be exhausting and frustrating, but it's so pivotal to your health. And I've experienced this on so many different levels over the years. And you guys have heard me talk about it before. You have seen me write about it. And this is something that is just really close to home for me. And I see with so many of my clients and friends as well, dealing with different practitioners who just aren't giving them the level of care they they deserve or they need. So this conversation is really important. Talking about what's happening in the healthcare system is really important and I hope this helps you out and inspires you and hopefully this information is something you can share with people you care about and people who you want to help improve their health and their lives. Definitely check out all of Adrienne's content. She puts out so much helpful content in the wellness and integrative health space and a lot of scientific research, just all the information you need. She is so educational and informative. So you can find more from her at getwellbe.com and on Instagram at getwellbe. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and hop into this chat with Adrienne Nolan-Smith. Thank you so much for having me today, Christina, first of all. Um, And my story and what I'm doing now are probably about over 20 years long. Um, It all kind of started or my journey into wellness and integrative medicine started uh, with getting diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease when I was 11 years old. Um, And my family, you know, wasn't particularly hippie or, you know, grungy or into like woo-woo medicine or any of that. Um, But basically, it was just out of necessity because me and my younger brother um, were actually both diagnosed at the same time. And he was actually much more sick than I was because I think he'd had, I think, I think he'd been bitten earlier than me. And so both of us had had this, you know, untreated Lyme for long enough. And I don't know how much you know about Lyme, but you can treat it with antibiotics if you catch it very early and, you know, maybe you see a bullseye or whatever it is, bullseye rash. Um, But if you don't, then the Lyme is sort of a brilliant organism and morphs into different forms and goes into different systems in the body. And it's, it's very hard to reach um, with that antibiotic. So we tried it, but um, as suspected, it didn't reduce our symptoms. And so at that point, my mom was really left on her own to figure out, you know, how to get us better because the conventional doctors we went to really didn't have any other answers besides antibiotics. So we started doing a ton of different integrative medicine therapies and natural therapies, some 
really weird, some pretty mainstream nowadays. Um, and about two years later, I was uh, in remission. My brother took a little bit longer because, again, he was much more sick. But um, it was a very big moment for me in my life now looking back because I think it was the first time I sort of realized, okay, all these doctors and like fancy, you know, we're from New York, so fancy like Park Avenue offices with the Ivy League degree on the wall and the white coat and everything else. And they're really, they weren't really interested in helping us very much. They kind of said, you know, this is what we have. If you don't want to use this, you're on your way. Um, Even though we already had used that and it didn't work. And these other healers, some of which were kind of weird, but others were, you know, just really passionate about their work and really brilliant, um, were so much more interested in helping us heal properly and get to the root cause of what was going on and really allow our immune systems to conquer Lyme eventually on its own. So um, I started to think differently about the healthcare system in general. And then I'd had pretty good health throughout high school, went away to college in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins and um, about six months after I got there, I stopped getting my period, which is called amenorrhea is the medical term for it. And uh, I started to get kind of worried after about a, cu- you know, a couple months because it had been very normal since I was 12 years old and uh, started to see a lot of gynecologists, endocrinologists, both at Hopkins and then back in New York. And again, even with my Lyme experience, I went to the conventional first. You know, I thought, okay, they must know what's going on. So... Every single one of them, you know, looked at me and basically told me nothing was really wrong with me and also just handed me the birth control pill as the only real option for how to get my period back. And my Lyme experience had taught me enough to know that that was going to band-aid the symptom um, and maybe I would be getting a period, but it would be a, a fake period or, you know, a, a induced period, but not really my body operating properly and creating one itself or producing one itself. And so I also knew that there were a lot of side effects because I'd done a lot of research online and seen what the different side effects were. And and I said, you know, with all due respect, like this is actually not a solution. This is a Band-Aid and I'm looking for somebody who's going to help me figure out what's wrong with my body and get it back in good shape so it can produce a period. And so it was a really long journey. I probably saw, I don't know how many doctors, um, maybe like And finally, uh, my father, after a year and a half of not getting it, helped me to find a naturopath back in New York. And I started working with her and she looked at my blood work so differently and spent over an hour going through it with me, which nobody had ever done before and helped me to see that I had, you know, issues in my gut and Um, also, you know, from traveling, I'd studied abroad in China and, you know, you get things like China gut and China belly and you take antibiotics routinely just to, you know, kick those issues. Um, and I sort of messed up my gut bacteria. And then also the food that I was eating at college in this, you know, big cafeteria compared to what my family had you know, started to eat after all of the Lyme stuff, which was all from the health food store and all like very high quality, um, was dramatically worse. So it took just six months of eating, you know, most of my meals in a big cafeteria with all of the polluted meat and, you know, pesticide laden vegetables and processed foods and, you know, drinking more, obviously being in college and all that. Um, it was, uh, 
just a disaster. So I, you know, who knows if my, my Lyme was, you know, part of that and that somehow that had weakened my guts, you know, my, uh, microbiome, maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure, but, um, it really had a big impact on me. So I work with this naturopath to, you know, with diet, uh, and supplements and herbs and, and some acupuncture to try to, heal me. And, uh, six months, she said, you know, do this for six months and you'll get your period back. And I did it religiously for six months. The, just a little bit of acupuncture, mostly taking the herbs, taking the supplements and, and really changing my diet. And, um, it came back after six months and like a day. So it was pretty wild and it's been completely normal for, you know, the last, I'd say 13 years. Um, as far as, you know, it, it's coming every 28 to, to 32 days. So I felt that was really my second major aha moment about health and healthcare and the integrative medicine world and wellness. And that, like, had I just gone down that other path, I might still be on the birth control pill and whatever had been wrong with me would have gotten progressively worse. And who knows if I'd, you know, gone off of it in my mid 30s wanting to have a child and, not being able to because now my hormones and gut and everything were so much worse than it had been 13 years ago. So it was really eye-opening. <clears throat> and then the the biggest catalyst, what I call my my third strike um, of why I'm doing what I'm doing now and what led me to found Wellbe, had to do with my mom. Um, she had a mental uh, a manic episode um, right about when I was graduating from college and. Um, it led to over three years of being in and out of hospital, mental hospitals, inpatient programs, and heavily medicated on different antipsychotics and mood stabilizers and antidepressants. Um, and it was really, it was really an awful experience because my family knew what we understood about the power of natural medicine and a more root cause approach to healing, and yet. When somebody has an acute mental illness and, you know, the, the, the state gets involved because we actually had to, you know, send her to a state facility because we didn't – we thought – we didn't know what was going to happen. She was so uh, far gone in this manic episode that they insist on medication and you're so worried about something terrible happening that you just kind of do what they say. And so you're sort of in the, the teeth of this, you know – medical industrial complex or whatever you want to call it. And we didn't really know how to get out of it. And so my parents had divorced. So my uncle and my, myself, we were involved in, you know, caretaking for her. And I was just really lost about, you know, where, who to turn to, what to do. And um, eventually she got so sick of feeling so terrible because each drug had just a laundry list of side effects, you know, shaking, drooling, not being able to sleep, and then, you know, giving sleep meds for the sleep, and then not being able to, you know, eat, and then, and then giving all these weird uh, drugs for, for appetite, and weight gain, and <clears throat> all sorts of things, and she eventually took her life, because I think she just couldn't take it anymore, um, in December 2010, and at that time, I was applying to business school. I was working at IBM, and I didn't really know why I was applying, but I knew I wanted to do something that was more meaningful to me. And my all my, my health experiences and wellness and integrative medicine experiences were just part of who I was. I never thought I'd be working in it. And it was just something my friends made fun of me for and asked me for advice when they needed it or questions. And I 
you know, followed a lot of, uh, you know, at the time there was no Instagram or, you know, people weren't putting this kind of thing on Facebook. So it was really just some newsletters, things like that. And um, when she died, I just didn't even think I'd be able to finish my business school applications. But I, I had about two weeks to finish them. And I ended up just completely rewriting the essays um, with the help of, you know, some friends who were editing drafts in the middle of the night for me because I was, you know, pretty um, distraught. I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't really eat or sleep. Um, and eventually I got a couple applications out the door and, you know, wrote in them that I was dedicating my life from this point on to fixing the healthcare system and making sure that people didn't experience what I had experienced. And the two main ways that I've kind of figured that out now is that people really need to see that the 100 choices they're making day are really their true health care. And then when they do need to seek care to make sure that they work with people who really want to get to the root cause of their chronic health issues and help them heal as naturally as possible. So I went to business school, I ended up getting into Northwestern and moving to Chicago. And I talked to anyone who I would who would listen to me there about wellness and integrative medicine. And that was very few people, actually. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there was no Instagram. So it seemed like there wasn't really a place where this conversation was happening. You know, when you said the word wellness, it was like corporate wellness, you know, or people thought wellness meant like wearables, you know, like Fitbits. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, there were some practitioners, of course, of, you know, acupuncturists and things like that, but nobody thinking about it in a larger way, like, can we actually transform the healthcare system to be more integrative and more root cause driven? So um, I ended up kind of starting what is now Wellbe in a class there with some engineers from Northwestern Engineering School in a slightly different format from what it is now, but graduated knowing that I didn't really know anything about how the actual healthcare system worked. And because I'd kind of gotten pushed into healthcare technology because they really didn't know what to do with me. There was no group of people in my business school that were interested in wellness. You know what I mean? It was I was kind of a lone wolf there. So I worked for a healthcare technology company back in New York, where I'm from, for three years, working with hospitals. So I was in a hospital probably once a week um, on chronic disease management programs and, you know, trying to reduce people coming into the hospital that had these chronic diseases, which was totally fascinating and also very depressing for me because I knew what the issues were and none of the solutions that the hospitals were coming up with were even close to being helpful. You know, it's just call them and, you know, it's a heart failure patient. Um, they've come to the hospital for like five heart attacks, but we're just going to send them home and tell them to fill their medications and get a follow-up appointment, fill their medications to get a follow-up appointment. And maybe once in a while, they'd mention something like eat a low salt diet. But it was completely, you know, unhelpful as far as giving people the tools and more information about, you know, what food really has to do with heart health or, you know, the root causes of asthma or COPD or um, diabetes, like all these different things that it was just so clear to me how it could be helped and done differently and get these people not only managing their diseases better, but reversing them. And that wasn't even close to being an interest of these, you know, people that I worked with. So it was tough for me. I struggled, um, but I also learned so much. And so I ended up starting to work on WellBe again and what it was going to be and 
figuring it all out on the side for a little bit and then quit my job and finally, you know, started working on it full time in March of 2017. So it's been, you know, um, I think in the fall, it would be about two and a half years ago. And I decided that, you know, no matter what, because a lot of people said, oh, oh, start an app, you know, you're, you're in the health tech world. I said, no, I know so many people with means and with education who are still making terrible decisions about their health every day with what they put in their mouth, what they put on their skin, the kind of medication they're taking, like all of that. And I think I need to start with content because I think that's the first way that you can sort of maybe plant a seed or begin to make people think there's a different way or show the proof. And that's why I now film a lot of stories of health recovery through integrative medicine because I'm really obsessed with proof and research to show that it's not just a woo-woo concept that, you know, you can reverse MS. Like I filmed a story of a woman who'd had it for 25 years and it was all through diet and lifestyle change. So um, that is really important to me. Um, and I, yeah, so I launched my platform. Wellbe is, you know, dedicated entirely to helping people prevent and reverse, you know, chronic health issues by, sh- you know, showing people that everything they're doing all day can either be, you know, contributing to really good health or contributing to chronic disease, um, as well as then kind of helping to try to connect people to and see that when healthcare issues come up, that you really want to work with practitioners and doctors who have, you know, a natural first approach and also a root cause, you know, resolution in mind. Someone really interested in getting to the bottom of it and helping your body really heal itself because it can. You know, everything that I've learned is when you take out the wrong inputs and put in the right ones and do it consistently enough, the body is so resilient, you know, it can, it can bounce back and reverse things that maybe people have dealt with for decades. Um, and not just that, but you can just feel so much better. I think a lot of people operate at sort of not a terrible, but also just a suboptimal health and didn't even know that they could possibly have so much energy or be so much happier because, you know, especially gut health and mental health are so intertwined. And so, um, I've learned, you know, so much since founding Wellbe. um, not only from these stories of health recovery that I tell, but also from a lot of the experts that sit between the healthcare system and the wellness movement that I that I interview, and also a lot of the research that I cover and our research wrap ups and stuff. So it's kind of fun to be able to now be doing the stuff that I'm sort of a junkie for that I think is so fascinating, but also to see other people that maybe haven't thought about this at all and how they react and write to us on Instagram or. Um, you know, in a podcast review or write to the website and say, like, I didn't even know it was possible. Um, thank you so much for sharing this. I'm going to, you know, begin this process. I just kind of lived with this for forever and thought there's no way I can, you know, possibly, um, you know, change my life. And, you know, here we are. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to stop you so many times because I had so many questions, but I didn't want to because you're such a beautiful storyteller. Um, oh, thank you. Thank well, yeah, you. ask me as many questions as you have. I have so many. But first of all, thank you like for sharing that whole story. Um, I'm sure it resonates with most of the people listening very deeply. I know it resonates with me a lot. Um, I came into this with very uh, kind of a similar mission in the sense of like having gone through Western medicine and being really failed and like learning to have to be my own advocate and do all my own research and... Um, I think it is really interesting 
how many people I come across who tell me they've tried everything and they haven't really because they haven't found the right person. And you you talked about this a few times, like finding a practitioner that is really root cause oriented. So how do you suggest people find that right practitioner? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing I forgot to mention in my long story is that I actually ended up using a lot of the knowledge that I had acquired within the conventional healthcare system when I was working in it to sit for a board exam to become a patient advocate. So I got my credential or my license to do that um, in early 2018. And I'm not doing all that much one-on-one consulting. I do do it now, but I'm working so much on building sort of a larger program and community for my audience um, where they can utilize myself and some other you know, patient advocates and health coaches and things like that to navigate them. Um, But in the process, in the last two years, I have gathered, I don't know, a list of like over 800, you know, integrative and functional medicine doctors and practitioners around the country and also some in, you know, Canada and the UK um, that we sort of help to direct people to. But um, so I would say one thing is you can access, there aren't that many of us, but you can access a patient advocate who may be better versed in this integrative and functional medicine space to be able to kind of snuff out who is really, you know, root cause minded and and if the cost is prohibitive or whatever it is, um, or if really what they're focused on and their expertise is in is what you're kind of dealing with. Because that's the other thing I've learned, like, there's so many brilliant kinds of practitioners, but some people have a lot of knowledge in one area, and maybe they're not able to connect all the dots or see the big picture. And so it may be that, you know, exactly what you need help with isn't exactly their expertise. And so it's, it's important to find somebody that, that, you know, has seen many cases like yours before and been able to really help those people. And I think those questions are really important to ask before you start working with somebody. I mean, I know, you know, it's standard now that we kind of show up for an intake appointment, do a ton of paperwork, like lab results, all this stuff. And then you kind of learn about somebody's approach and whether or not they can really help you. And, And I see that, you know, doctors want to see what's going on with you first before they say that. But I think there's, it's important and there's an opportunity to have more of like a consult or almost like a little bit of doctor dating first to kind of see both, do you also respect and like this person? Because it's very hard to have faith in somebody that you don't respect and like, you know, like a professor or teacher, if you can't stand them, that's probably not going to be your favorite class. Um, or their, their, you know, they call it bedside manner or their, um, approach. Um, and then also just to see, you know, will this end up bankrupting you? If so, is there something else you might be able to try? Because a lot of this stuff, as you know, is, is out of pocket. And, and really, I do believe that, I have never been helped by somebody that was covered by my insurance. <laughs> yeah. Like everybody that's ever helped me was out of pocket. So it's a sad reality of the way that medicine has to be practiced now, which is really quick turn and burn. And the ones that really take the time and do the deeper kind of medicine are the ones that really do help people heal. And those are often out of pocket because when you spend an hour with a patient, that's not, you know, reimbursed the way that it would if you spend five minutes with a patient and then you get to see 12 patients in an hour or whatever it is. So 
um, I do think it's both important to, you know, if you if you want to and can find a patient advocate that has um, knowledge and expertise navigating the integrative and functional medicine world. I also think you can try a consult or a little bit of, you know, doctor practitioner dating, even if it's over a video uh, chat or an in person. I wouldn't do a phone call because I think you can get a lot from seeing a person's face that you can't necessarily get from a phone call. Um, and then just seeing if they can kind of work with you on maybe if it's very expensive, your financial situation, your health situation, how much you really need. Can you kind of do it in a remote way? You know, there's a lot, I think there are a lot more options these days that you need to figure out before committing to a particular doctor or practitioner. Um, and then, I have a list of questions, which I can share the link with you, Christina, that maybe you can include in the show mm-hmm. notes or something, um, that are all of the important questions to ask your doctor to snuff out if they're really root cause minded and not just doctor. This is for a practitioner, too, and making sure they're you know not dogmatic and, and things like that. Um, so I, you know, I, 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 I tell everyone, print out the list of questions and do not feel awkward or embarrassed about running through all of them before deciding to work with somebody. Um if it feels weird, I, I suggest that people say, oh, you know, I've had some um, not great experiences with other practitioners or doctors. So I just in the interest of time and making sure I don't, you know, waste your time or, or my money or time. Um, do you mind if I just ask you these kind of like eight or 10 questions? Because this will really help me understand more about your approach. And I think that sets a tone of one, you're prepared, you've done your research, and two, this is coming from somewhere. You're not just being rude. Um, and three, that you know, you're you mean business. You you want to make sure this is a good fit. And so, as you run through those, I, by the end, I think you'd have a really good idea of if this person can help you. And and the, by the way that they answer the questions. So those would be my three, you know, helpful tips to um, to find somebody excellent to work with. Yeah, I think those are amazing tips and I'm very much behind you on all of them and I definitely think asking the questions is super important and I know I had my list of questions too when I was shopping for practitioners when I was looking for that and it is like dating. You know, you have to find somebody who you connect with on a personal level too and I think a lot of people don't realize how much their results you know, it's really going to be affected by if you really do trust that person just as a person, not just if they're the smartest person in the room. Um, so, and I think also like as a practitioner myself, like when someone's coming to me as a nutrition client, I like when they're asking those questions because I know that they're serious about getting results and they're not just coming to like, you know, get some quick information and then be on their way. And they know that they're like in it to win it. So... (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, when you hear somebody asking those questions and coming with research and being really prepared, I'm not a practitioner, but I, I would I would think, and you can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know they're not just taking your, you know, list of your protocol and your list of foods you recommend and mm-hmm. changes to make and whatever and putting in their desk and not looking at it. Yeah. Like they're they're actually ready to do the work. And as we know, when it comes to healing, it's it's 90% the work that you have to do outside of the practitioner office, right, on your own with all of the following the protocol or sticking to the diet or, you know, mm-hmm. um, even, even if it's coming consistently coming back to get that treatment over, you know, whatever it is, it's a lot of willpower that, and a lot of commitment that that 
actual patient has to make. A practitioner can't heal somebody that's not ready to be healed um, and who's not willing to do the work. So um, I chose that to the practitioner. And so it's like good energy feeds on good energy, right? The practitioner is like, okay, you're ready to do this. You're going to like make me successful because you're willing to do the work. And then the uh, practitioner's work is probably better. And then that patient actually does get better. And so it's just, it's good all around, I think. 100%. I can confirm that. And I know like from my side, for example, with working with other people, you know, I put so much time, so many hours into research, like with clients putting together protocols and figuring things out. And so if you work with a client where you, you put all this time into it, and then you give it to them, and you know that they just aren't doing anything, or they're like you said, just putting it in their desk and not looking at it again, that makes you unmotivated too. And I mean, now I don't have any clients like that. But when I very first started, I would get some like that. And it made me just not motivated, right? So it, it really is like you feed off of each other. Um, so people definitely shouldn't be, you know, embarrassed or afraid to be annoying if they ask questions. I think it, it really is um, helpful for both for both parties involved. And I also am really glad you mentioned about you know, often the best (laughs) practitioners are not going to be covered by insurance. And that's not 100% of the time. But I've had that that same experience too. And I know not everyone's going to want to hear that. But it's kind of the reality. And I feel like I've had this conversation a lot recently with people saying that they're willing to do anything to heal. And they've tried seeing everybody and they've tried all these people. And then you suggest something and they go, well, I can't do some that because it's out of pocket. Well, at the end of the day, you can keep wasting your time and other money, you know, working with someone who's covered by insurance, but isn't going to get you all the way there. Or like you just have to commit and pay out of pocket sometimes. Yeah, it's terrible. And I feel like the um, this is why kind of wellness and integrative functional medicine gets a bad rap for, you know, being for rich people, or at least for people who, you know, are willing to spend a large amount of their, you know, money on on health. um, Because it's the ones, the majority of the doctors who really practice medicine in the right way, spending the amount of time they need on the case, both with the patient in person, but then separately, really trying to investigate it and do extra research and try to really think differently about maybe tests they missed or other components or going back to the patient and say, tell me more about, you know, what you were eating or doing at that time that that first flare came and da da da. Um, it's very time consuming. And in order to practice that way and really uncover it all and keep getting better at your own trade, right? So mm-hmm. if you're an acupuncturist getting, continu- you know, continuing education and or Reiki healer, same thing, or um, a functional medicine doctor going to those lectures and conferences to understand the latest testing and all that, that all really adds up. And so in order to do that, a lot of, you know, that, that, that cost obviously goes on to the patient. And and a lot of times you can get, you know, submit it to your insurance and it goes towards your deductible or you get reimbursed for some of it or part of it or all of it, you know, occasionally. Um, But I've rarely seen somebody that's really good just take insurance straight up and and give you know lets you pay with a copay or whatever and it's it's a sad reality and it's not the practitioners and the doctors fault it's the system that we've set up with mostly medicare and medicaid has has set it up this way so you know cms is what it's called for short um but they kind of set the rules on reimbursement codes and 
how things are processed and these networks of doctors within each insurance company and what gets reimbursed, et cetera. And so everything is, it's a really a disease care system. Everything is driven from a code about a disease. And so if you don't even know what's wrong with you yet, and a functional medicine doctor wants to spend a lot of time and do a lot of, you know, troubleshooting to figure that out, that's not really reimbursable in the way that if you go in for cataract surgery and you just do that quickly, there's a code, there's a certain set amount that they charge for that, um, or insurance companies reimburse for that. It's so easy peasy, you know, it's Mm -hmm. very clear cut. Um, When you have Lyme and Epstein-Barr and SIBO and chronic fatigue syndrome and mercury poisoning and all this stuff under the surface, then, or you don't even know what you have yet, you just have a host of terrible symptoms, um, it's much harder to have a clear-cut, like, you know, reimbursement or uh, insurance program. So that, I think, is a lot of the root cause. The way that the insurance system and the, the it's called ICD-10 codes, like the billing codes, um, have been set up by our government, really, but also by the insurance systems, um, I'm sorry, insurance companies, is really the root of the issue. And so once we can start to change some of those, I think, to to allow for different types of, you know, different types of appointments and different types of uh, treatments that aren't related to a, some sort of a procedure or drug prescription, I think we'll be able to get these doctors to be part of an, you know, a system, an insurance system that isn't entirely out of pocket. But for now, it doesn't exist. And so to practice good medicine for the most part is out of pocket. And it's a sad reality. But the amount of time I wasted and money I wasted, even if it was just on copays and insurance premiums, seeking all these conventional endocrinologists and gynecologists when I was trying to figure out my period issues, my amenorrhea issues, I would have taken all of that, you know, back and just gone to the naturopath first, knowing that that was going to be obviously costing more, but quicker in resolving my issue for good. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't, how much money would I've spent on birth control pills from age 20 to 34 in order to produce a fake period Mm -hmm. over the years? You know, I don't even know, thousands upon thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dollars and how much I spent in those, you know, six to seven months to do her program to get better. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think less, you know, mm-hmm. and now I have my, my health and my body back in the way that I wanted it. You know, I'm not wondering, are things still wrong under the hood? I can't really tell because now I'm taking this thing that induces a fake period. So not really able to see, you know, that things are right or wrong in that area. All right, you guys, I hope you are enjoying this chat with Adrian as much as I am. We are talking about some very important topics. And speaking of investing in your health, making a small investment now for long-term success when it comes to your overall state of being, one of the most important and helpful investments you'll ever make is in a pair of blue light blocking glasses. If you're not already wearing a pair of blue light blocking glasses before bed, you absolutely need to because this will transform the way you feel. This will transform your sleep and your daily productivity, your mood. It can help to balance your hormones and regulate your hunger signals. Wearing blue light blockers is one of the most important health habits I have picked up. And really just during the night, I get deeper sleep, better sleep, less headaches during the day. 
I don't deal with any eye strain that I used to deal with when I worked at the computer for too long. I have a better mood. I just feel overall so much more regulated. And when my sleep is better, the rest of my day is better. I can function. I can perform at a high level and it's amazing. Sadly though, most of the blue light blocking glasses on the market are not backed by science. They don't block the full spectrum that we need to block, which is why I love blue blocks, blue light blocking glasses. They are the only 100% blue and green light blocking lenses backed 100% by science. I used to wear other brands. I used the orange ones. You need these red lenses that are specifically designed to block the full blue and green light spectrum that's necessary. So everyone really needs a pair of the Sleep Plus red lenses to help improve their sleep and relax you and reduce any anxiety. I put these on as soon as it gets dark outside, so I wear them before bed. And then during the day, either picking up a pair of the blue light clear lenses or the summer glow yellow lenses. The blue light clear lens is perfect for people who have more natural light in their work area. And then the summer glow is great for people who work under more intense artificial lighting. And also for anyone who struggles with anxiety or depression due to changes in the seasons. And then if you want to go the extra mile, their Remedy Sleep Mask is their 100% light blocking sleep mask. That has changed the game for me and totally helped increase my REM and deep sleep every night. And I feel so much better because of it. Blue Blocks offers about 20 different frames to pick from. So you can find different styles that you love. I love these because they are actually very attractive glasses. I always get compliments on them and you can also send in your own frames if you would like and they can make a custom-made prescription lens for you if you need that. Plus they go the extra mile and for every pair of blue blocks they sell, they donate a pair of reading glasses to Restoring Vision who will gift a pair of reading glasses to someone in need. So if you're ready to get some real blue light blocking glasses, you have not tried blue light blocking glasses if you haven't used the blue blocks yet, trust me, then just go to blueblocks.com and you can use my discount code wellness for 15% off. Again, that's blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use my code wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S for 15% off. Wearing blue light blocking glasses is just one of the many ways I get well be as Adrian calls it, but let's go ahead and hop back into this conversation with Adrian Nolan Smith. It just goes to show you have to think of the long-term goal. And I've I've had this conversation with people too with, with the birth control, for example. And they'll say, well, my birth control is completely free. And I go, yeah, but do you know what's not going to be free is when you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to have a child in 10 or 20 years because you didn't realize that you were dealing with these infertility issues. You know, like people don't think, or with, with cancer, you know, people are like, I'll spend less now. But I'm like, well, what's going to happen to you in 10, 20 years during spending all this money at once to heal, like, what's been building up over years? Um, oh, yeah. I think I read that, you know, a, a cancer treatment program at, like, uh, MD Anderson, of course, that's one of the better ones, but is, like, can be up to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars yeah. or something, maybe average of $150,000. Like, that is... I mean, that is bankrupting for yeah. most people. So to think that, you know, like, oh, well, this is only a $30 copay, but this is a $200 treatment or, or appointment. It's just, it's it's so minimal compared to the potential outcome mm-hmm. if, it, if it ends up being something like cancer or like you said, infertility or, you know, some kind of surgery you end up having down the road. Um, I can't tell you how many people I know who had 
IBS type symptoms. And of course, IBS is a total blanket term for anything that's going on with your gut, uh, but you know, irritable bowel. And for years, and they just kind of treated it in these, uh, you know, band-aid type ways, and then end up getting a surgery where they take out like a couple inches or their entire colon because it's so beyond repair. And so that kind of a that kind of a surgery, I mean, that's even if some of that is covered, that's a couple thousand dollars at least, you know, if not tens of thousands. So if you think about it like that, you just you never want to get to the point where you need to have a major procedure or treatment or operation or something within the conventional system or be on a very expensive drug the rest of your life because even with some of it being covered or most of it being covered, it's astronomically expensive. It is much, much easier to take a preventative approach or just deal with health issues right when they're coming up and not when they get really bad. Yes, 100%. And this gets me so riled up because not only is it in terms of cost, but like what what does that cost you in terms of your life? I see so often people going in for surgery rather than just shifting their diet and doing some like simple supplementation, like the number of people who get their gallbladders removed rather than just doing some liver gallbladder support and changing their diet. It it horrifies me, you know, or I, I recently had a client who she's gotten her thyroid removed and ovaries removed, like basically unnecessarily. Um, now looking back and even in had part of her stomach, like taken out, I don't, it was, it's insane what happened. And she's looking back and she's like, I realized all this was unnecessary, but I was young and that's just what they told me to do. And like, like obviously cost is a factor, but besides the cost, like what that, how that impacts the rest of your life, if you have a body part removed or, or changed when you didn't need to be, like you have to adjust things forever and it can be a long-term stressor. So I think people really need to be, you know, educated and they can't be afraid to like ask questions to the doctor, be like, is this really necessary? And look for other avenues because it just really scares me how many people are told like, this is the only thing you can do. And it's not, it's not true. (laughs) Uh, I couldn't agree more. I was thinking of a handful of stories I know just like that. A guy friend who had his gallbladder removed only to then have so many other gut issues because it just moved to a different area, right? Mm -hmm. The problem was still there. Um, And then finally kind of took a more functional approach to, to getting better. And it was like, it was just taking probiotics helped him so much. You know, his was actually somewhat simple case and to think he may still you know had he figured that out sooner been able to keep his gallbladder which is just crazy so Mm -hmm. that for sure and then a story I love to tell is my own father um was you know went to hospital for special surgery here in New York which is the best you know surgery hospital apparently in the country and they said that he needed a hip replacement And he said, you know, he was prepared to do it. He'd been limping around. He'd been falling down. I mean, it was really bad. He could hardly walk. Um, And myself and my brother both said, you know, no, we know a lot from everything we've been through. You're going to try a few things first before you go back, you know, go go get a very, very invasive surgery. Mm -hmm. So, and expensive. So he did this anti-inflammatory diet and he got cupping um, for, I think he was going at least once a week for the cupping. And then he was doing the anti-inflammatory diet at the same time. And I think it took about three months and he was walking normally again. He uh, 
was playing tennis, I think, after three or four months. Um, and this was like he was literally limping around, couldn't dragging the leg around, falling over sometimes because it would just give out. Um, and, you know, obviously also just, you know, lost some weight and was sleeping better, had all these other, you know, positive outcomes from from doing it. And the diet was definitely strict, you know. I mean, he was not eating a lot of the things that are part of a standard American diet, like grains and nightshade vegetables, et cetera. But um, it helped him avoid, I think, what might have been, you know, a twenty, thirty thousand dollar forty, I don't even know exactly mm-hmm. how much money that kind of surgery costs, but it's quite expensive and creates a lot of inflammation from all the scarring and everything else in your body. So if you were already you know, his issue is that he had a lot of inflammation around his hip and he would have just been creating even more without resolving the initial inflammation. So who knows what that would have spread to, you know, maybe then it goes to the knee or something mm-hmm. like that. And then he needs a knee replacement and then maybe it goes to the other hip and then he needs the other hip. It'll find a home, you know, that yeah. inflammation doesn't go away. And so it was just so great to see him get to the root cause of it. And, you know, he's still like he, he rode a bike with me the other day and he just never rides bikes. And he says, wow, I, I can't believe I was able to get up on this, you know, like to, to swing my leg over and ride this. I just, I never thought I would get back here, you know, it was great. That's amazing. That's so great for people to hear that kind of story. And I mean, when you said that, it reminded me of just, just the other day, my landlord at my office, um, she was like, you know, I've only had one experience with energy healing. Cause she was asking about like what, what Reiki is. She doesn't even know what I do. Um, and, and she's like, you know, I had this horrible gallbladder pain. I went to the hospital and they told me, I I had to get it removed, and I said no, and they said, like, I was basically going to die if I didn't, and I said no, and then I went to see this energy healer, and, like, and she did something, and that night I felt it, like, drop, and all my pain went away, and she was like, just by going to see the energy healer, I saved myself so much money in a lifetime of, like, having to live without a gallbladder, and, like, what you have to do to maintain that, and I'm like, yes, like, I just think that people need to like look at all the other options there are so many different ways to go and that's not to say like no surgery is necessary because sometimes surgery is necessary for certain things but if you haven't really looked at every other thing you could do like adjusting your diet and supplementation and even energy work body work um essential oils like all these different natural remedies we have like let's look at those first before you do something that could change the rest of your life forever and like you're saying like just because you're getting rid of you know this this direct problem doesn't mean it's not going to manifest in another way later on. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. And and uh, you know, if I haven't said this already, there is such a place for western medicine in emergency care and sometimes I have a friend who had, you know, a gigantic piece of like bone, I think, sticking into, you know, the a fragment or something that it that had from a previous injury that was sticking into her spinal cord and causing immense nerve pain. Um, And she ended up having a, you know, big invasive surgery on her back, but had that piece taken out and, you know, like all of her nerve pain went away. She stopped having to take opioid painkillers, all of that. So that's a great example of like, well, in that case, like there is literally something sticking into your nerve. Like mm-hmm. we could just take that out and that would that would help. But in my father's case, and I think most people's cases, with especially with structural issues, a lot of times it's being caused by an imbalance or inflammation that you can solve with body work and with these other natural modalities and really work on 
you know, to to undo. And of course, it takes a little bit more time. You know, I've never seen something like that resolve in, you know, it's got to be at least a few weeks or even a few months, but it can. And think about how much money, time and future issues that solves you by by fixing it rather than band-aiding it and having it come back in another place in your body or also from surgery complications. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people that, that, that die from, um, you know, sepsis and other infections they acquire from having, being in a hospital, getting a surgery. There's also um, complications with, you know, bleeding out and, and things like that that can go wrong. Sometimes, you know, there's 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 mess ups like they they operate on the wrong knee, you know. They yeah. literally have you seen they 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 marker the knee mm-hmm. because there have been enough, you know, occasions that they just operate on the wrong one or, you know, things like that where it's just why even why even give that and why even, you know, go there or allow that to be a possibility when you could actually solve it naturally through yeah. something that that doesn't have side effects and that um, nips it in the bun, nips it in the butt once and for all. I mean, how exciting and cool is that? Yeah, and I, I have a friend who that's actually happened to three times on his knee. They they messed what? it up three times. Yeah, and so now he just doesn't want to go to a doctor, and he can he can't walk as well, you know. So, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is this is so sad. Um, what's happening? But yeah, there's definitely a time and a place, and I just think like it's really important to drive it home for people like with with the cost we have to think bigger picture and like you're saying you're not just paying for that hour you're paying for all of the hours that that person is going to put into researching for you and focusing on you and i don't think people know unless you've done it you don't know how much prep work goes into a client you know like the 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 appointment itself isn't that much work it's everything that goes into it as well as that person's hours of research and like education over the years. And like you were saying, you know, any of the conferences they're going to, webinars they're watching, all of that, that's all that you're paying for. So in the grand scheme of things, it's it's worth it to spend a little more now and also get really get better sooner. Like I would rather spend $1,000 this month and get better in three to six months than spend ten dollars this month and not get better for ten to fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, I don't know anybody that would disagree with that for sure. <laughs> when you put it like that, for sure. Um yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And um I think the the model of medicine is shifting. There's a lot more concierge medicine type options or membership type options where you're able to connect more with your practitioner and stuff, not just, you know, the hour that you spend with them, like you said. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at the end of the day, accessibility and being able to answer your questions when they come up and when you hit roadblocks, because I've never seen a healing journey that didn't have some stumbles and some setbacks and some roadblocks. um, That is usually outside of an actual appointment, but somebody that can really be there for you, that's important. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to think about that when factoring in something, how much something costs and the kind of person you want to work with. Yeah, 100%. I think that goes back to like, quote, shopping for the right person and connecting with them on a personal level. And I also think it's really cool now how so many practitioners have like social media and websites and that maybe they've been on podcasts and you can learn about them in that way too you know so if you really you can kind of get to know a person you know outside of their practice and like go into it with a better vision of who they are because you know if you 
if you read all their content, you've heard them on podcasts or any of that, um, you'll have a much better idea if like that person is worth your time to see if they're a good fit for you as a practitioner. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, also I was thinking when you were talking earlier about kind of like the codes and how, um, you know, you can't, if, if you don't know exactly what's going on, you can't just say like, oh, this is what's happening. And then it gets covered by insurance. Um, it reminds me a lot. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with the, like the mental health care system. Like I remember the first time I went to a therapist and she was like, you know, well, I have to just kind of label you with, I have to diagnose you with something, even though I don't really know what's wrong, but I just have to diagnose you so that I can, it can be covered by insurance. And I remember thinking, this is weird. Like, so I'm just slapped with a label. And I think with mental health, that adds this whole other layer of you're being labeled X, Y, and Z just so that it's covered by insurance. And then that can have implications on how you perceive yourself, which is really interesting. Um, and I think when I think about it from that perspective, it makes more sense why what's happening, you know, with, I don't know if you have a Lyme or um, SIBO or something else like in, in the other aspect of physical health why it doesn't get covered as easily because you can't just label someone as sadly as easily as you could in the mental health area. Definitely. Or they use labels, which, you know, like fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia means absolutely (laughs) nothing. nothing, As you know, it means like random aches and pains, muscles, you know, whatever. Um, Or like we were joking about or mentioning before IBS, you know, irritable bowel syndrome. Okay, fine. But like, what's irritating your bowel? Like, Mm -hmm. that's not an actual answer. Um, You know, there's some pretty hysterical ones out there like restless leg syndrome or whatever. But, you know, the whole system developed so that you had to have some kind of a a syndrome or a, Mm -hmm. a word for it so that you could, you know, diagnose it, code it and then get it reimbursed. Um, but the, the the dangerous part about that is a lot of these diagnoses come with like a drug treatment plan, you yeah. know. And so if they're diagnosing you with fibromyalgia because they just can't explain it and really you have undiagnosed Lyme or you have, um, you know, heavy metal toxicity or, you know, whatever it is that's really going on underneath the surface that's causing the pain, then they're giving you these fibromyalgia drugs, which are completely the wrong drugs for what it is that you're dealing with. And probably, you know, there's side effects of those drugs and your liver has to then break down those drugs so it can't fight off and detox, you know, the other things it might be dealing with. Um, so it has like a, a, you know, a spiral of or a, 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 a I, don't, I don't know what the right terminology is, but it has a, um, a series of events that then comes from just getting this random blanket diagnosis because they don't know what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And getting treated for things that you don't necessarily have and that can harm you over time because you're using the wrong drugs and drugs are difficult on the body to, you know, detox and break down just like alcohol is or, you know, anything else. So um, I think it's very scary and dangerous how cavalier people are with these blanket diagnosis, you know, terminology Mm -hmm. Um, and especially in the mental health space because, you know, depression and anxiety and things like that, those are symptoms, 
right? Yes. Depression is a symptom of other things that are going on. It can be caused by a variety of things, but it's a symptom. And so whether you have gut trouble or you have an unresolved emotional trauma or you have you know, a thyroid condition, which is adrenal fatigue, and it's making you feel exhausted and therefore kind of depressed um, because you can't kind of do your life the way you want to, or a postpartum hormonal imbalance that's causing some depression or a variety of things. Um, so when someone just gets slapped with that label, like you said, it becomes their identity, but also it's a disservice to that patient because it doesn't help them figure out what's causing that depression. And that Everybody can feel depressed. Even if you have excellent health, if you just watch a sad movie or you get some bad news or you have a few days in a row where you just didn't get enough sleep or you're sleeping poorly or you're drinking too much alcohol or whatever, you can feel depressed. And so everybody deals with that. And it's a normal part of being a human, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's only when it's kind of persistent that you want to look underneath the surface and say, okay, what physically is causing this? Um, or emotionally and spiritually, as I mentioned with some, you know, trauma type stuff. Um, and if you identify as that, then you can't kind of, I think, heal and see when it comes up here and there as, oh yeah, you know what? I just didn't get enough sleep last night. Or mm -hmm. you know what? I have been eating a lot of processed foods and I haven't been having enough healthy fat, which is what my brain needs to operate optimally. So maybe that's it. Why don't I try having some wild salmon and see if I feel a little bit better? That if you don't think that way, then you just think that something's wrong with you and you never sort of do the natural steps to resolve it. You just think, oh, I, there's nothing I can do about this. It's a condition. I must have to take an antidepressant. That's the only way. When there's so many other reasons that could be happening and so many natural ways to potentially treat it before you go to drugs that have a lot of side effects. And in, you know, some people might argue aren't even necessarily effective at long term, you know, treatment um, of depression. Yeah, 100%. And it, like, obviously it's not helping you if you are on a drug that could have worse side effects online, but also there's just danger in itself of if there is a root cause, letting it sit there and fester. And then later on that becoming something much more serious. And I mean, I know like for me from personal experience, like what happened to me was basically I was dropping a lot of weight really quickly and my organs were shutting down and the diagnoses I got after three years seeing like probably over 30 doctors in the Western medical system was I had idiopathic constipation and IBS and depression and generalized anxiety disorder and pre-diabetic. And that's what I got. And I, and I was like, well, if we don't figure out what's going on with what's actually going on, I'm literally going to die because my organs are failing. Um, and what it really was, was it was the heavy metals and the mold toxicity and the SIBO and the candida and parasites and all these other things going on. Um, and had they not, had I not gotten to that, I probably wouldn't be alive. And so it's like, not only just don't take a medication that's going to give you side effects, but also like, don't let a root cause fester because you don't know where that's going to end up down the line. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, I don't think I knew all the details of your story, but that's tough to be told that you have all of those different things. And I think a lot of people might just try treating each of those, right? Like, yeah. okay, so you say I have depression, I should take an antidepressant. You say I have 
constipation, I'll take, you know, I'll eat Metamucil every day or I'll take a, a something to get me to go, right? Um, and then I have anxiety. Okay, maybe I'll take an anti-anxiety med. And I have prediabetes. Okay, maybe I'll start taking insulin now or what, you know, all mm-hmm. these different things instead of you, which you, you know, very clearly figured out like, okay, these things are all connected. I just need to get to the bottom of what's causing all of them. Yeah. So I just want people to feel empowered. And also, I mean, part of that takes like belief and hope, right? That you can feel better because people, if they just settle for like, oh, I have depression and this is, you know, that's just how it is. They, they don't search for a deeper root cause when it could be, you know, taking probiotics, (laughs) you know, getting rid of bacterial overgrowth, something like that. Um, so part of it is like, I think it's great how you share so many stories of how people have overcome their health issues because it gives people that hope because I think that is um, a main reason why a lot of people don't keep pushing is because a lot of them have lost hope that like this is just how it has to be and this is how life is and you just have to manage things and you don't have to manage things like you can get better. Absolutely yes that's why I do it that's why I tell those stories because I think it gives hope, but it also gives proof, as I mentioned, and gives people a little bit of um, a roadmap. So if they're having the same set of symptoms as, you know, one of the stories that I tell, and this person got better, you know, going down this path, maybe that's where they want to start. And everybody is so different that I don't think the same diet or treatment or whatever works for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it may be that that didn't work for them, but at least they got going on the path, you know, um, action leads to something, right? Like taking an action leads you to figure out it's going to work or it's not and you move on to the next thing rather than just kind of taking something forever or doing nothing or thinking that you can't heal it and you just have to kind of manage and deal with it the rest of your life. Um, so I, I love that, you know, it it has led to people taking different action or, or trying out some of the things that helped some of the people that I've told their stories Um and that's it's the best part of what I do. I mean, I get the mm-hmm. chills every time I get to sit in front of somebody and tell one of these stories. Um, I just, you know, I, I've heard them briefly, usually before we're on camera. And then once they get going, I'm just in total shock and awe. Like you mentioned, at the determination and the belief and the hope and the, the, the positivity that then comes to their life once they actually do heal. It's really extraordinary. Yeah, and I mean, that's part of why I love podcasting because I always ask everyone who comes on here like their story. And I love hearing how, you know, people came out of it. And I think it just really inspires other people. And I mean, it inspires me too. And I think something interesting that I wanted to touch on is like this idea of, you know, proof for people. And you share people's personal stories, your own personal story, as well as a lot of research and scientific data. And I think that in today's um, health and wellness landscape, like, for example, a lot of the people listening to this podcast aren't necessarily in conventional medicine. You know, they are um, conventional Western medicine. They are more on the functional medicine route. They're in the health and wellness space. And this idea of proof, I especially see this on Instagram. It's like there's this whole camp of people where if there's not a study, it doesn't exist, you know, and 
that really bothers me because I feel like, you know, just because there's not a study for something doesn't mean it's not going to work or not going to exist. Like we only have, I think only one study out there with the autoimmune paleo diet and how could, but there are, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with like personal anecdotal experience that that helps them put their IBD in remission. Um, so I'm curious how you navigate that idea of proof and like what proof means to you. That's such a great question because like you said, some of the proof is anecdotal and some of it is research-based. And I try to help people to see that research um, has to be funded, right? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) there has to be kind of a reason that you're doing it, right? So a lot of research is funded by the companies that are trying to then develop some sort of a treatment or drug or whatever it might be to then solve that issue or, or you know, at least band-aid it or temporarily solve it, whatever. So it is very uncommon to be able to do really high quality research. It means you have a big sample size, right? You want to get, you know, a couple hundred people usually at least, if not thousands or tens of thousands. Um, you want to have, you know, controls and double blind and all this stuff. It takes a fortune to do. Um, And so who's going to benefit, really, if you do that with, say, broccoli, that you prove that (laughs) broccoli is, you know, a big catalyst in reversing whatever, prediabetes, let's say, or something like that. Um, Who benefits from that? The people that sell broccoli? It's a commodity. Like, the price of broccoli isn't really going to change even if this study comes out because there's so many people that produce broccoli and it's just kind of – there's a standard price and maybe a little bit more for organic, but you're never going to see a thing of broccoli that costs you know more than $10 or something like that, right? So there's just not a lot of incentive to do studies and research on natural medicine because – it's very hard to patent and very hard to sell commercially. So that's why this whole argument around, you know, natural medicine isn't science or show me the research or there's not enough trials or it's, it's uh, you know, correlative instead of causal, right? Or mm-hmm. um, meaning it's not that the broccoli caused this person's pre- prediabetes to reverse. It was that they were eating broccoli and their prediabetes reversed, but they were obviously doing other things too. So you can't really say that that's an exact cause because they're, you know, interacting with and eating other things. So who knows? Um, We just know that it's part of it in some way, right? There's a correlation there. So that's the case with all food, right? And a lot of other natural medicine things as well. Um, And like I said before, even if you came out with a landmark study about the impact of acupuncture on chronic pain, you can't patent acupuncture because there's tens of thousands of people that practice it and do it. And so there's kind of a range of prices for which you can charge acupuncture that's not really going to go much higher, right? It's it's You've never really seen an acupuncturist that costs more than, let's say, $150 a session and maybe even as low as $30 a session in certain places. So um, that's really what I try to let people realize or, or impart on them is that when you talk about research and science and say, like, show me all the, the trials, you have to understand the incentives of why people do it to begin with. So that is the first thing. The second thing is that anecdotal proof can be very powerful as well. And it's, you know, 
you can see an amazing case of recovery through, let's say, essential oils, right? But you can't retroactively set up a trial on it, right? Because mm-hmm. it already happened. So that's why it's very hard to put it into a medical journal because you saw that it happened, but you can't go back and put in controls and make it double blind and create a larger sample size than this one person. And so it's important to understand these anecdotal stories as long as they're true, right? Mm -hmm. You want to look at reputable sources. You want to make sure that people aren't incentivized to somehow like make it up. I think, you know, there was some Daily Mail woman, remember in, in, in Australia that kind of made up that she like healed naturally from cancer or something and the whole thing is lie but but other than those kinds of bizarre things where they might be trying to like get weird fame or i don't know whatever um in other situations like those are very important to pay attention to and also to understand the incentives behind doing research and then the third thing i would say is there is a lot more research being done now about natural medicine and food a lot more because of all of our interests and all of our I think consumer thirst for it now that we're finally seeing a different way of practicing medicine and a different way of living and eating. So I do a research wrap up for Wellbe. Actually, we do it every two months now, and I actually do it a podcast as a podcast episode and as a written piece with tons of links to all the actual research studies, showing a lot of the research that's coming out and a lot of the health news that's coming out about things that pertain to a natural lifestyle, whether it's like food or environment or also natural medicine and therapies um, or functional medicine, integrative, all that stuff. So I, it is so much fun for me by the time (laughs) I put it out because in a given, you know, they're, they're called the Welby wrap up, but let's say for a given wrap up, if I cover eight stories, I probably go through about 40 studies before I narrow it down and decide, you know, what's really important to put in there. So I get to learn so much in that process about kind of the forefront of research and and who's doing what. And it's it's a lot of academic medical centers that have a lot of money. So centers, you know, hospitals and uh, medical centers attached to say like a Northwestern University or Johns Hopkins or Harvard or um, University of Texas or whatever, where um, they set aside certain budgets to study things that aren't being funded by industry. So meaning not funded by pharmaceutical companies or medical device companies. Um, and that's where you're seeing a lot of great research coming out about the power of meditation or acupuncture or nature exposure or um, certain you know supplements or certain foods. Um, so it's really an exciting time. I think we can't, we have to do more because mm-hmm. we're still, I think the statistic is it's, we're spending about $60 billion a year on pharmaceutical research and $1.5 billion a year on nutritional research. Mm-hmm. So it's not even close. I mean, it's not even close. So in order to get a little bit more equal, we need to spend a lot more on that. So it's, it's about people having awareness and advocating for that. Um, but we're doing a lot better. So I, I hope that my research wrap up helps people to see that we need to do more, but also that there is a lot of science and research here in this area. I love that you do that. Um, and I think everybody definitely needs to check those out, those wrap ups. I'm wondering, um, like, how how do you stay up to date with all of these different um, research studies? Like, how do you how do you find all of these? I am subscribed to an endless amount of health and wellness, you know, publications, Mm -hmm. as well as I've become somewhat comfortable in PubMed, which is the (laughs) research database. So I get their digests and things like that um, for the topics that I'm interested in. Um, 
And, you know, there's, I think there's like over 30,000 new studies and new pieces of research published in PubMed every year. So there's just no way, first of all, that a doctor could really have the time to learn all of them and see everything that's coming out. And so that's why I think these, you know, what, what I'm doing, what you're doing is important too, to digest all of that and synthesize it and explain it for consumers and people that care about it. Um, because to expect that a doctor can both see patients all day and do, learn about all this new research, it's, it's kind of unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do need to be able to learn yourself and then bring things in and say, you know, I heard about this new study about using fish oil to treat schizophrenia. And I would really like to try that with my, you know, mother who I might be taking care of. Um, I realize it's experimental, but we're willing to do it. And I'd like you to contact the person who is conducting this study or trial and, and, you know, try to get my mom in it or, Mm -hmm. or whatever that might be. I always think about it and I regret not doing stuff like that because I didn't know enough and I was too scared when my mom was still alive. But in hindsight, I would have absolutely done that because we had nothing to lose. Like Mm -hmm. she was not getting better with just being totally drugged up and, you know, feeling terrible. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very important to realize that there's a lot out there and to uh, find health and wellness outlets that that try to to explain it yeah because some of it's really promising and great yeah and I think any any great doctor will love if someone does that because you know I've t- a lot of my friends are functional medicine doctors and they'll tell me like they, they're like I learn everything from my patients like they bring in things because I'm so busy during the day I don't have time to sit around on PubMed all day, so I miss a lot. Um, so people appreciate that, and I think your wrap-ups are so great, and everybody should should take a look at those. Um, something that I did want to ask you, since you dealt with chronic Lyme, which, I mean, I wish I had more time. I wanted to dive all into that, but, you know, time got away from me. But I am curious your thoughts on kind of the recent media regarding chronic Lyme, because I think it's a... I think it's a really sad situation. Um, I don't know if you saw the, I'm sure you did, the New York Times article and the recent article in The Cut kind of just saying that people are making up chronic Lyme. Um, and I'm wondering kind of what your response is to that. Yeah, that both of those articles were intense. I knew like half the doctors and people mentioned in The Cut article, it was mm-hmm. wild. Um, but it's it's a really sad thing that they're going this direction because the rate of Lyme disease is growing so exponentially because of I think it's climate change and because of you know the 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 winters there the ticks aren't dying off in the same rates and there's a lot of reasons that the CDC is saying that there's so much more Lyme um, but it's gotten really bad and especially in certain areas like where I live so. Um, you know, not not the city, obviously, but anywhere surrounding New York City is just riddled with Lyme disease. And and it's, you know, I think it's in all 50 states now, um, as well. So it's really everywhere and maybe 40 countries, something like that. Um, so when I hear the argument that chronic Lyme isn't real, it's infuriating, because there are so many people suffering for so long, mm-hmm. that what is the other explanation for the fact that they've had you know, Lyme that went undiagnosed for a long time or that they, you know, haven't been able to heal from. And when you see that they're using, you know, endless, endless antibiotics to treat it and they might feel a little bit better initially, but then they all seem to relapse. um, 
you know, where, where does that come from? And so, you know, even though there's articles somehow slamming back at the idea that there's chronic Lyme disease, um, you'll also see a lot of people like this, you know, the head of the Center for Tick-Borne Illness Research at Johns Hopkins and other places that are reputable um, medical professionals saying, nope does exist. We're seeing it. We're seeing people have these persistent symptoms for years who were never, you know, treated initially or misdiagnosed or didn't know what was going on for for too long. And then the antibiotics didn't seem to have an impact. Um, But I don't know why they're coming. I think I, I really can't explain why there's certain people that are coming back at the chronic Lyme community saying these things because it doesn't help anybody yeah you know it, it it doesn't get anybody better to say it doesn't exist what gets people better is saying okay you're suffering these persistent symptoms let's keep spending money on research to figure out how to treat Lyme in the later stages because you know we don't seem to have a lot of tools right now that seem to work in the conventional system um, and keep digging into this uh, because it's not coming from nowhere. And so I think you just really do a disservice to people who are ill and have been ill for a long time when you try to tell them their illness isn't real. I mean, mm-hmm. what, wh- why would you do that to somebody? I think it's, I think it's terrible. So yeah, I, 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 I fully do believe that you can treat Lyme in very early stages if you catch it early enough with antibiotics. And I think that's really what the New York times article is saying. Like they did catch it early and they did treat it with antibiotics. Um, and, when then you want to come after the chronic Lyme community, even if that's not your experience, like, you know, if, if you've solved your problem quickly with antibiotics, great, but don't try to tell someone that's been suffering for five years and got diagnosed three years in that their illness isn't real. Like, yeah, that's, that's not helpful to anybody. 100%. I think it just speaks to the larger issue of like, I mean, Lyme is the prime example, but all of these different invisible illnesses are just being dismissed or even even with like post-birth control syndrome, like all the women who are just dismissed for their symptoms, like with birth control. Um, and that's not helping anybody, but I think it it kind of just speaks to this, the larger problem of we like to reject what we fear, what we don't understand. And even in the medical community, like as a doctor, if a doctor doesn't know how to treat chronic climb or didn't learn about that, it's easier to just reject it than to say that's happening. But I don't know what, what, what to do because it's scary to feel like we can't control that or we don't know how to fix it. If that makes sense. A hundred percent. I think that's a large part of it. It's easier to say nothing's wrong with you than admit that you didn't find anything because you didn't do all the testing you could have, mm-hmm. or that you just don't have the tools to treat that or haven't learned that yet or research hasn't caught up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of an ego thing. And it's also, like you said, a loss of control. And also because a lot of patients just want to hear something. So, you know, yeah. They'll they'll say something, you know. Uh, actually, you have uh, the, you have fibromyalgia and you have depression. Instead of saying, "Well, that's weird," you have joint pain and brain fog and fatigue and depression. Maybe that's all the same illness. Maybe that's Lyme. Mm-hmm. You know. So. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, we just all need to keep spreading awareness. And I think that's why the work you do is so important. And I think this episode will give a lot of people, you know, hope to to keep 
like fighting for themselves and their health and that of their loved ones. And I think that's really what it comes down to is just kind of like, like spreading this message and empowering people to be their own health advocates and look for people who will also advocate for them as well. Um, so I really appreciate all of your work in this space and I want people to connect with you more and find more of your content. So to wrap up, can you just let everyone know where they can find more from you? Sure. Um, so my website is called get Wellby. So it's, you know, G E T W E L L B E.com. Um, and we have a new, a weekly newsletter with all of like our latest content. We don't make, you know, we only have a few pieces a week, but we spend a lot of time and effort on them and, um, also offer some, you know, special offers and big announcements. Like I mentioned that are going to be coming in, um, mid September about some new things we're building for our community. Um, and then we're also pretty active on Instagram. So you can follow at get there. Um, and also on Facebook and YouTube, not as active as Instagram, but available there. And then lastly, um, the Wellbe podcast. So you can just search Get Wellbe in your podcast app and find us there too. So thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. Such an interesting conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Adrian for coming on the show and sharing her experience and knowledge and just continuing the conversation around this topic because I think it is so, so very important. So if you want to find more from Adrian and check out Wellbe, just go to getwellbe.com and you can also find her on Instagram at getwellbe. All information will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this and you think someone else would benefit from this conversation, please send it to them, share it with them. If you share it on social media, make sure you tag me, tag Wellness Realness Podcast and tag Adrian at getwellbe. And be sure to reach out to her. Let her know if you liked this chat. I'm sure she would love to hear your feedback. If you're not already in our Facebook group, make sure you check it out. It's Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Just request to join and I will add you in and you can connect with other listeners when we talk about the episode. Anything goes in there. Thanks again so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you have an awesome rest of your day and I'll chat with you again next time. Bye.